They need to they need to mix up the the, the acronyms and the first name of it. I mean JJ, TJ. I mean DJ. There's there's more letters in the alphabet. your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's here. The playoffs are finally here. We now know who are deserving and a few of them who are undeserving who have made it into the big games. So, hey, we got Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks down in Cork? Yeah, not much going on down here at the moment. Post-Christmas lull has kind of kicked in. Oh, I have had an experience of ordering clothes online and realizing that every single company has different sizes for different things. So oh, God, yeah, that's what fun. I've ordered has to be sent back. Don't think I'll ever get into it as a normal thing because it seems ridiculously frustrating to send back half the stuff I got. Very exciting. What about yourself, Ronan? Up to anything yeah, else? Uh, back in Cork after uh, making it back from Cavan. Yeah, this week is inevitably in the week of meetings at work, so lots of calls, lots of talking. But uh, mm. yeah, happy to be back and uh, yeah, enjoy myself. It's not exactly a huge amount of happening on the, on the social calendar, but uh, mm. thankfully got the NFL to fill the gap at the moment. Well, I'm kind of quiet enough myself here but i'm swapping jobs at the end of the month within the place i work so kind of it's a bit of the wind down on one thing one end and kind of just hand over docs on the other so it's fairly you know yourself it's nothing too wild or crazy at the moment but i'm sure the next week or two will then become quite busy as we come up to the end of it just watching football and having the crack playing a bit of dungeons and dragons it's uh, it's been good crack so i suppose we'll push in and have a look at the playoffs we now know what the seeding are so we've got in the afc the first seed went to the tennessee titans kansas city number two buffalo three cincinnati four vegas five new england six and pittsburgh seven and on the nfc side we have green bay number one tampa number two dallas three rams four the cardinals number five san fran six and philadelphia number seven jacksonville jaguars were able to take the number one pick overall in the draft even though it came right down to the end there it took a surprise win for the lions to ensure that the jacksonville were able to lock that one up there's one thing that's particularly surprising in this and we will probably discuss it when we get to the games with the afc side it ended up being a very exciting final week of the regular season with the number of results going in a very specific manner which allowed pittsburgh fucking pittsburgh to make the playoffs i believe it's the dan hansis describes pittsburgh as the zombie that no one seems to be able to kill it's not even aware it's dead yet uh hopefully i don't want to jinx it hopefully that will end this week but yeah pittsburgh limp the corpse of ben roethlisberger into the playoffs yeah, and Vegas there over the Chargers is maybe an upset, but we kind of said you, that could be a pick game either way. But yeah, Pittsburgh making it in on the back of those couple of results was a bit of a shock to me. Especially where they were like three or four weeks ago when they were, whatever, six and six and seven and one and looking utterly dead and they were never going to win another game ever. God, it's just, they are the team that just won't die. I would be worried about them going on a run to the Super Bowl based on this being the team that just won't die. But honestly, I just can't see how they will actually score enough points to win games in the playoffs. You can't just play one quarter offensively and expect to win games consistently. Football is the great loser in this. I mean, having them over, say, the Chargers or even the Dolphins or the Colts. I mean, yeah, they're not even top 10 in the AFC in terms of actual ability, but they've snuck in. And a great, another great advertisement for the quality of these number seven seeds. Both these seven seeds 
this year can just could just be lifted out without making any impact on the quality of the playoffs. And as actually, as as we'll discuss when we come to the game reviews, Indianapolis playing their way out of the uh, the playoffs in a match against Jacksonville, who, as you said, probably would have been a slightly more competitive wildcard team there. On the NFC side, yeah, like we said, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. All fairly standard. Dallas expected, Rams expected. Arizona really limping to the end here. San Francisco making a push to get in there, but also we'll, we'll discuss them later on whether or not we think they're real contenders. And then, as you say, kind of really that very unusual kind of what could they bring to this playoff? Could they be a surprise? Because they wouldn't on paper look like they'd be competitive with some of the upper tier teams here. You know, at least with Philly, there's no other team that you would put in there that you're going, that's a better option. I would 100% watch the Detroit Lions. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think they really came on at the end of the season. They just beat the yeah, number one they, seeds, they, didn't they? Like, <laughs> they've got heart. They've got heart. You can't deny that. But yeah, no, it was a bit more, a bit more straight down the line in the NFC. I'm kind of saying, and Jacksonville obviously locking up the number one pick. We'll actually will be discussing the Jacksonville game in our reviews. So like, we'll come to that then. But we saw a bit more from Trevor Lawrence, so maybe they won't spend it on a quarterback. He, obviously, that means because we've got the playoffs lined up, we've came to Black Monday where we see an awful lot of head coach and GM firings. So at the time of going to press, we have Denver have fired head coach Vic Fangio, uh, Chicago fired Matt Nagy, their head coach and their GM Ryan Pace. Minnesota have gotten rid of Mike Zimmer, their head coach, and their GM Rick Spielman. Miami have fired head coach Brian Flores in what was basically reported from everyone as a power struggle between him and the GM. And New York's GM, Dave Gettleman, has retired completely of his own volition. <laughs> Available head coaches obviously are Vegas, Jacksonville, Denver, Chicago, Minnesota, and Miami. So there's going to be a fair whack of changes going around here. Before we come on to the candidates... Any of these surprising for you? Like, I think the Flores one is a bit surprising, particularly given they had a decent run late in the season. But it was against Paper Tiger opponents, and this definitely was an internal struggle. There was a lot of reference to this being about whether or not Flores actually wanted Tua, because management were very much behind the Tua selection. I think in the order that you've just announced, it would be the order of my lack of surprise. Fangio completely understand that team was going nowhere. Nagy had one good season, but they've been going downhill for three years. Absolutely fine. Zimmer's team, eh, you can kind of make the case that the Vikings are at the level that they deserve to be at, but uh, he's not bringing them anywhere new. Flores, I mean, yeah, it's been... They've had two winning seasons now out of three and just missed the playoffs twice. There is a team coming together. And even though they, they beat a lot of crap teams near the end, you did kind of feel as if there was a team identity coming together. Yeah. And they were finding a way to make Tua work within that system. So I imagine if there is office politics behind it, I would be less surprised by this. But based on pure record of where the Dolphins was going, I was quite surprised to see Flores not being given another year to kind of demonstrate that this project was coming together and to full fruition. So Chris Greer, the GM, I believe, is meant to have won that internal struggle, which uh, to me, when you look at his record, I wouldn't be backing him over the coach. <laughs> like the big thing there is that there's rumours that Greer and ownership are very, very interested in trading for Deshaun Watson and Brian Flores is actually the one who isn't that in, wasn't that interested in going for Watson, but even though the Watson apparently waived his trade clause for Miami because he wanted to work with Brian Flores. So I don't know, it's a bit of a fucking mess over there at Miami right now. And if they do end up trading for Watson, then that's only going to get a lot more messier. Obviously, if Watson goes out there and is able to play and balls out, then they will instantly become an AFC contender and wins wash away most things. In terms of like Vic Fangio, like, look, sometimes you just don't get the, the rub of the green. And when you have quarterbacks that are Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke over your tenure, 
you know, you're not going to keep your job more often than not. Well, don't forget, um, he also had Swag Kelly. Well, yeah, uh, you know, like I think sometimes things don't go your way in Vic Fangio. He might consider to be a little unlucky. But Nagy, like he, he committed the cardinal sin of, you know, getting a nice, fun rookie quarterback and doing nothing with them. But in the sense of starting Andy Dalton to try to save his job and that was never going to work, let's be honest, given the team that they have. And then when they got Fields in there, seemingly resisting playing to feel strengths and actually playing, you know, putting a scheme together that would accentuate his strengths as obviously a, a gifted uh, dynamic playmaker like we see in Baltimore when they uh, started Lamar and building something around them. So I think Nagy had to go because he just didn't seem to want to work with the quarterback and Justin Fields is probably the future of that team unless something very unusual happens. And look, for Zimmer, uh, much like the head coach he played under uh, Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, sometimes things just stagnate. Uh, they just don't go anywhere. There's just a you've reached the peak and everyone knows it and the peak isn't that high. Um, it will obviously end with that war fun play to Stefan Diggs that went for a touchdown uh, against Saints. That's as good as it got. And yeah, given where that roster is, I'm not sure how much in, like how much interest you would have if you had another choice as a head coach candidate you would have because it's just a team that it, it's a roster that's also stagnated with Kirk Cousins with a lot of veterans and stuff like that. Obviously you got Justin Jefferson other things you could build around but with the Kirk Cousins situation I don't know what exactly you're going to do there. We'll fly through just a couple of the candidates that are normally up because this will obviously be a lot of the discussion in the off-season. Probably the most commonly talked about ones are Doug Pedersen kind of coming back from his tenure with the Eagles, Dan Quinn, Nathaniel Hackett, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Caldwell, Kellen Moore, Bill O'Brien, really. Byron Leftwich, Brian Dayball, Todd Bowles. Eric Bieniemy is already up interviewing with a few of them again, but this is now his third cycle of interviewing and not getting picked up so hopefully he'll get picked up this time around but it's kind of a bit confusing at this point the only other kind of movement that we saw is that Detroit uh, defies our offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn after he lost play calling duties mid-season kind of a continuing falling down the rabbit hole for Anthony Lynn but yeah like there's not exactly there's not exactly a standout name that would drive you mad there like Jim Harbaugh I suppose but that's just remembering the the old 49ers days like Kellen Moore I think he's never going anywhere because he's locked into that Dallas position. Like, Bill O'Brien, please, God, no. Like, I, just Nathaniel Hackett, I suppose. But, like, yeah, I'm not... Nothing Nothing grabs me and goes, yeah, that's the direction I want to point my franchise in. I'd love to see Jim Caldwell get more... I mean, he, he's the one guy who actually turned the Detroit Lions into a playoff team in recorded history. So um, he definitely has the talent to, to maybe turn around a mediocre team or a bad team into something good. I'd like to see him be given another chance. I think he deserves it. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh, I would love to see in the NFL, but I can't see him leaving Michigan. I think he's got a, a good thing going there. The rest of them, yeah, I mean, Kellen Moore's got that, the young, hot prodigy that the, the Cowboys hype is all around him. You'd wonder how much of that would actually sustain itself and actually been able to do the job. People like Biennemi and Todd Bowles and stuff, they're exciting coordinators, but can they make the step up, I guess, is the question there. But problem is, there's a lot of mediocre white guys here, and then and there's some talented black guys and you just know the mediocre white guys are going to get most of the jobs Yep. because um, that seems the way things go in the NFL. It's been said actively that it doesn't in any way impact it but there is now the additional draft picks being provided to the teams that coordinators who are moving upwards in positions would then receive in return essentially to encourage hiring of minority candidates for it which it just popped to mind because obviously I just mentioned there Eric Bieniemy is interviewing with the Broncos if the Broncos were to hire him we'd, we get two third round picks back off it which I has to at some point play into a Broncos decision making process of giving an in-division rival free draft picks it's a close decision on on a coach selection that I think would actually play into it 
we're seeing a lot of interviews right now. We're, we're waiting for things to wash out, but uh, you know these teams are all in various states of, of different needs. Like Jacksonville are obviously a team that will probably go for a safe pair of hands after the absolute disaster they had last year. I'm um, expecting so to go for more veteran guys, uh, but other teams might be looking for more refresh, like in Chicago, um, someone who can like get the best out of Justin Fields. Let's move on to the controversy corner. At this point, there's just confusion over the Antonio Brown situation that we've discussed previously. So he's now disputed the public news story about his walkout. He says he walked out when he was asked to play through an injury despite having an aggravation to it. Brown's lawyer claims the Tampa Bay attempted to cut him with cause because Brown missed a medical that he was due to be taking. He's now scheduling a surgery for the offseason on this ankle issue that he's meant to be having. Tampa Bay head coach Bruce Arians has said that Brown didn't complain about that, that he complained in-game about a lack of targets, which does kind of tie up with the story about how he was getting very close to incentives and then he decided to walk out when he was asked to go in later on in the game. I've read the statement that Brown made about what was said to him on the sidelines and it doesn't fully make all that much sense like he says that Bruce Arians ran his finger across his throat as if he was going to kill him and I don't think that happened because it was on film and didn't happen but it does definitely seem like Antonio Brown did have a pre-existing injury now whether this is just a, a, a a PR spin to try and make it a little bit better I don't know it seems very odd to me though particularly that they'd stand beside him coming back from a previous injury and then have this happen some of what Antonio Brown might be said might be true, and some of what his representatives might have said might be true, but uh, a bit like the boy who called Wolf, or maybe more rapidly, the, the boy who sold fake vaccine passes. Like, mm. you know, there's only so many chances you get to say what you truthfully did or did not happen before people are going to be incredibly skeptical about whether you're bullshitting or not and you know when you go on to some podcast like the full send podcast hosted by bob menery and just shoot the shit and just kind of say all this crap about basically bruce arians you know effectively trying to make you play through injury and screwing you over and then saying tom brady he's not my boy because he's he he got me a incentive laden contract well he got gronk paid money because gronk's not an idiot and doesn't have huge personal issues and got cut off teams before but uh, we'll put that to the side yeah there's gonna be some skepticism like look i have no doubt that bran was playing through injury but the old saying with the NFL is everyone is playing hurt. And considering that he had incentives and he declared himself fit enough to play and be on the bench, it's just as likely that Berrien's account is true, that he basically was looking to get some incentives, make that money, and wasn't getting on the field enough to, to make those incentives. Uh, he needed catches, he needed a, a yard. Look, I like maybe in the fullness of time we will find out what happened here, but right now... I'm not saying that Tampa Bay are, weren't dicks about this, that they haven't done some dodgy stuff. And the thing about scheduling a medical early in the morning and his attorney saying like that was done specifically so that he would miss his medical because, you know, Antonio Brand is obviously too important to take medicals at awkward timing, um, might have been legitimate. Uh, and that Brown was already scheduling. I think Brown might have very well had people scheduling a medical at a more appropriate time for him in like in the afternoon. Mm. But regardless of that, I'd like Tampa Bay, probably their, their hands are completely clean. But with Antonio Brown and everything he's done and all of his idiotcy, it's hard to have much sympathy and hard not to believe that, you know, some of these elements could very much be exaggerated as well. So uh, if this is the end of Antonio brand it'd be all the better for it to be perfectly frank do, do we think this is the end or do we think this is a this is a pr act to try and ensure that he is a little bit more palatable sell to a fan base 
he's blown too many opportunities to play. I think if this was the first time something like this had happened, or even a second time, you could make the case. But we're talking about him burning his bridges with, I mean, multiple teams at this point. Uh, it's, I mean, maybe a really stupid franchise like Houston or Jacksonville might take a shot at him because he is still talented, but... Even if he does turn up a team like that, I can't imagine that being the best environment for him either. So, I mean, the, the only teams that are likely to take him up are teams that probably he shouldn't, from his own mental health point of view, be taking on. So, I said last week, I think this is the end. I, I find it hard to see him playing another NFL team. And certainly, I find it hard to see him playing well and being happy at another NFL team. There might be one more blow up for, a, you know, a 1 and 15 team somewhere down the line. But as a, as a force in the NFL, I think he's completely finished. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Although... It is that thing. It's easy to say now, but then it comes to September. Someone does an injury and they just go, do you know what? This guy will play for three, four million. Why not? It's, it's more that he's done so much shit beforehand and still got picked back up <laughs> that like, it's very hard to see what would be the straw that breaks the camel's back here. Okay, let's move on to some injuries. Playoff relevant injuries here. Okay, we'll start at the top. Kansas City wide receiver Tyreek Hill has a heel injury. Uh, their tight end Kelsey has a groin injury. Both are expected to play in wildcard weekend, which would be very important as they're a key element of their attack. New England defensive tackle Christian Barrymore has a knee injury and Isaiah Wynn is an ankle injury both are hopeful to play this weekend uh, San Francisco offensive tackle Trent William uh, missed week 18 and is uncertain for the wild card with a, uh, an elbow injury and uh, James Connor, Arizona running back has a ribs injury and it's not sure whether he's going to be around and uh, the Rams safety Jordan Fuller has injured his knee and he's gone for the season and Philadelphia's tight end Tyree Jackson has done his ACL and he's gone for the season so obviously the plus to this is that the majority of these are hopeful to play and would hopefully not be longer term injuries for Kansas City obviously that's pretty much key if those two guys are out and Clyde Edwards Hilaire is still coming back off his knee injury and so on that like yeah you really hope that those guys are there but hopefully they should be back I believe the offensive line injury guys are looking better to return now as well for Kansas City so that's a plus but yeah that's not a jigs it it's the it's it's a Pittsburgh Steelers so you'd hope you'd be able to survive maybe a little bit of injury in this game but you don't want to be going into the thing with your two superstar players outside of your quarterback both coming in with injuries yeah but it's important to note the Hill did play periods during the Denver game yeah but he had had one catch for two yards like he wasn't really being targeted so even if he does play, obviously keep an eye on him and Kelsey, whether they're playing, I suppose, at full strength, if there's obvious rehab and stuff going on, on the sideline. Uh, Trent Williams is a is a big loss for San Francisco, but they obviously got it done in Week 18 to make it into the playoffs. So I'm sure they're hopeful that they could live without him again. But obviously an elite left tackle like that is a is a big loss. And Connor, like the Arizona offense, has only really looked functional when they had Connor. Other offseason relevant ones, New Orleans quarterback, really? Taysom Hill has a Liz Frank injury, so he's going to miss probably a good chunk, if not all, of the 2022 season. He's guaranteed quite a lot of money so I don't think it's going to be a kind of getting rid of him scenario here it's not great more question marks for New Orleans going into the offseason that we'll, we'll discuss probably at a later date and Tampa Bay have extended defensive tackle Vita Vea four years 73 million he's been a very integral part of their defense for the last year and this year and he's been playing very well so it just makes sense to lock him up and this is also presumably kind of a two and a half three year contract and you can just get out fairly handily you know yeah like Vita Vea is a unique player he's obviously got that combination of being the lead run stuffer while still being a threat in the past game he's just a very athletic ginormous man and that is enough to get paid a lot of money in the NFL he's had some injury issues but thankfully he's been playing more in recent years and yeah for Tampa Bay I don't know why you wouldn't pay him and you know there's a lot of teams uh, like perhaps the Chargers um, who would certainly love to have a Vita Vea on their team right now. (laughs) 
we'll move on and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, and where else could we start? Sunday Night Football, uh, a classic with uh, teams playing well, teams playing poorly. Very surprising ups and downs. The Chargers at the Vegas Raiders, 32-35 to in overtime. Carlson kicks a 47-yard field goal and knocks the Chargers out for a playoff. It was a very weird moment. So this was the, the, the surprise scenario that we joked about last week happened here, where that this was set up that if these teams tied, both were getting into the playoffs. And... They were tied full-time, and they went to the overtime, and there was very little time left in it. And for some reason, the Chargers decided to take a timeout, which was a 26 seconds left or something like that, and basically forced the issue. Now, whether or not, I don't really buy that the Raiders were not going to still go take another run and then try and kick a Carlson field goal anyway, but it does seem very silly to me if they're running the ball to not just let the time keep coming off that clock as much as possible. The LA Chargers needed a big comeback to even be in this game at the start. It was 14-29 to in the middle of the fourth quarter, and Herbert had two fantastic drives to try and get them back into it, including a two-point conversion. It was very impressive, although for some reason... And I don't know what it was. They were unable to do shit outside of the fourth out of the fourth down. For some reason, everything needed a fourth down conversion in this. And he was money on the fourth downs. But it was just a very confusing moment of why, when they were so good at that point, could they not have done it on a slightly earlier down? They got to the overtime with a kind of a buzzer beater to score. It was very impressive performance from them. Even though they'd had a couple of couple of mistakes throughout it, like uh, Herbert did throw an interception. That Carr looked fine and steady, 186 and two touchdowns. But they leaned on Jacobs here, who had a great game, the defense, and, and a couple of Chargers mistakes. It definitely felt like Chargers charging in here, but it was a very exciting game that went down to the absolute wire. It's funny for how close it came to it being a tie. I don't think that was actually in the heads of either one of these teams. Not till the end, anyway. The, the story, as I understand it, is that, I mean, obviously the teams played quite hard and there was, you know, the, the Raiders got up to a big lead and the Chargers fought back and there didn't seem to be any conspiracy going on. But the story that I heard was Rich Versace when they did get down to like the last 30 seconds of overtime. They were talking about it because obviously they were, I mean, it's a risk reward thing. Do you want to take the risk of running a running play and having a fumble and, and, a, and a, them going down to their end or whatever? Does it actually, does, does there come a point within the game dynamics where it actually makes sense just to take a knee to guarantee that playoff spot? So apparently they were talking about it. And I mean, I do understand there is an argument that the, the Chargers were, were saying that they, they didn't have the right personnel on the field for the run player or whatever, so they had to take the time yeah, they, out for they, they game brought in, they, brought, they brought in two heavier run stuffers because they were kind of giving up about six or seven on the ground every time to Jacobs. Uh, so they were trying they to give up ten yards. Yeah, then they give up ten yards with the fresh guys. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, fuck yeah. knows. Like it's yeah, it's. I mean, it is whatever the, the situation, whether or not they did or not. The fact that the Chargers might may have accidentally induced a spike field goal to eliminate them from playoff contention has got to be peak Chargers going to charge. I mean, this is unique. In the history of NFL, a team managing to get the other team to to kick a field goal out of spite to, to knock them out of the playoffs is quite an achievement. <laughs> Overall, though, I thought the Raiders played very well. I mean, they, they almost threw it away at the fourth quarter, but they did seem in, in control of the game mostly. I mean, you got to give them credit. This team should be an absolute mess the way the season has gone with, uh, with the Gruden thing, with the Henry Ruggs thing. This team should be in a, in a toilet um, and yet they've kept working and it has paid off. They've, they've had to beat more talented teams multiple times this season, especially the last two weeks. They've had to beat, they had to beat the Colts, 
when they didn't have the talent to beat the Colts and they did it, they they had a game plan and they and they saw through. In this one, more talented, talented Chargers team, they basically had to beat them. I mean, they could get a tie, but they basically had to beat them. And they did it, right? They did what had to be done. They fought to the very end. And I think with that kind of level of work ethic that they're going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs because they're not going to die. Like, they're going to fight to the end. They have got talent. Hunter Renfro's had a great season wide receiver. I mean, Derek Carr is not... I mean, the numbers are more impressive than what he actually is as a quarterback, but he can be devastating. They, they've got, in Zay Jones, they've got a little bit more of a, a deep threat now. On the defensive side, Max Crosby's having he had another impressive game in what is a very impressive season. That front seven is quite good. Um, so I think they're, they're better than they appear, and they're better than any Raiders team ever should be, and they're definitely fight hard, so they're going to be a, a good team to have in the playoffs. The charges, though, I mean, yeah, it's... Aside from Herbert, who I thought played reasonably well under the kind of pressure that he was facing, especially in the fourth quarter when he had to pull off the throws that he did, I think the rest of the team looked quite nervous. I think their defensive weaknesses, which has cost them a lot throughout the season, was kind of exposed here again. They were, they were kind of beaten a few times when they, they shouldn't have. This game was kind of slipping away from them, if not for the, the crazy comeback and the unlikely, the fourth and 21 conversion for a touchdown. The other fourth, I mean, they had six out of seven at fourth down and they weren't all like fourth and ones and fourth and twos they were like fourth and tens and fourth and twenties and stuff so they were they kind of pulled it out of the fire and then to just kind of blow it up at the end is kind of hilarious but I mean given what we thought about these teams relative talent levels I'm actually happier to see the Raiders in the playoffs because I think they'll give a good fight to the Bengals or uh, even deeper if they manage to beat them. Whereas I think the Chargers, there's just too many weaknesses on this team. And ultimately, I don't think they were going to make a splash against the very big teams where with the Raiders, you just never know because they will they will play to the final whistle. And they're definitely inspired as a team. They've got a good team kind of dynamic going and they're definitely going to be a tough team to beat. Look, lots of things went wrong for the Chargers here from the very start of the game to the very end of the game. Like, the first few series in this game, the Raiders ended up with a field goal on their first drive, but it could easily gone out uh, for a touchback uh, when there was a fumble by uh, Foster Moreau on a long catch. Uh, they didn't get that break. But yeah, they go three and out. Then Vegas get the ball back. They punt it. But then they get a, a, a gimme from Andre Roberts, a very experienced punt returner who fumbled the ball, and that set up the Vegas first touchdown. And, you know, then... The, the Chargers, they move their way back in. They get actually get into the lead before the second half, less than two minutes remaining. And you're kind of going, okay, well, they got over those mistakes. They got over that. And then what do they do? They they get to a uh, third and 23 situation, like with less than two minutes to go, remember. They hand the ball off to Jalen Richard, the Raiders, and that goes for a first down. And then on a pass interference in the end zone, the Chargers allowed the Raiders to get a, a touchdown before the half. So they went in 17-4. And then everything just went terribly for the re- for the third quarter. They missed a field goal on their first drive. They they failed on fourth down. Uh, that was a, a handoff to Eckler. And they gave up another field goal and touchdown uh, before the interception from Herbert late on. Uh, but to be fair to Justin Herbert, he is a magical beast of a quarterback and I'm really annoyed that he's not going to be in the playoffs just to see him play more. He, he manages to get them back in with, as Sean says, a ridiculous number of fourth down conversions and then to actually score with literally two seconds left on the clock, a buzzer beater. That is truly sensational football and he makes things happen that, that shouldn't happen and it, I'm really excited to see what he becomes going forward but 
like there's literally a, a documentary from John Boyce like about the 2010 Chargers like the, one of the greatest teams in NFL history that didn't even make the playoffs and that's just the Chargers and it's like is this going to be like is the Philip Rivers Chargers and the Ladanian Tomlinson Chargers just going to become the Justin Herbert Chargers where everything goes wrong for them no matter what they do and it's very appropriate that they lost this game because they took a timeout a questionable decision at best and then despite taking the time out and making the personal decisions that you talked about bringing on the the big heavies the stuff up the run they give away a 10 yard run away to turn a like a, a 60 something or like a nearly 60 yard field goal into a 47 yard field goal like you do everything you, you do what you say you need to do brandon Staley, you defensive genius apparently and then you <laughs> blow the game on the final play on a run game when it, like the achilles heel of this team all season has been their historically atrociously bad run defense like why are they in a, in a win and in situation at all because they let rex burkhead look like jonathan taylor a couple of weeks ago with like over 150 yards rushing the ball and like ultimately, they have an elite quarterback. They have playmakers on the offense and defense. So ultimately, the blame for the Chargers not being in the playoffs must fall upon yes, being the Chargers. I'll give you that. But also Brandon Staley, you're you were brought in as a defensive genius, and your defense has sucked big donkey balls. And it is somewhat appropriate that that is what ended up costing you on the final count. We'll move on to the San Francisco at uh, the LA Rams, 27-24, to 24, another overtime game. An open-down performance from Stafford, saw him go for 238 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. And he throws up an interception into that kind of, you know, whatever pieces of paper and, and, and off the street guys he could pick up to make that secondary up in San Francisco. To see a comeback win, it was 3-17 to 17 at the half and Jimmy G really pushing to make sure that he's not replaced here. 316 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. He made some mistakes, but also like he was trying to clutch, particularly at the tail end of this game. Now, most of it was yards after the catch, just hitting Debo and stuff, 140 and a touchdown. But like, and Brian Nyack went over 100. It was, it was it was impressive. Cup went for 118 and a touchdown, focusing in on him the whole time again. But there was very little consistency in this offense. Now, I don't know if this was them taking their eye off the ball and kind of, you know... Like they didn't, they didn't rest people, but maybe they just didn't want to show too much in the um, in 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 the books. Like they were, they were out of the running for any major movement. I suppose a win in theory could have gotten them the second siege, maybe, but that's about it. Yeah, but don't don't forget they didn't know what the Cardinals' result was at that point. So if they had lost this game and the Cardinals had won, they would have lost the NFC West. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten Fall, that. I'd forgotten that. down a bit now. Obviously, in history, obviously that won't really matter much. And they could have had the number two seed, as you say, which isn't an insignificant effect either. If the Rams have been hiding something, they've been hiding it for a while. It feels like the last <laughs> months of Rams football, outside a few exceptions, like a quarter or two, has been very, very up and down. And as you say, ultimately, that, that seems to source mostly from Matt Stafford, where when they let him loose, as it were, he seems to be making mistakes. He seems to be reverting to his uh, worst inclinations as a line, just throwing into coverage when there's nothing there. And like, look, in overtime, I think at that point, maybe the Arizona result had just come true or basically it was done. So uh, maybe McVeigh was like, whatever, fuck it, just go for the prayer. But it was a bad pick. And as you say, this is against the San Francisco secondary that's basically missing like two or three or four different starters on its in its secondary. So there's really... Not much excuse for you not to go out there, but apparently if you if you take away Cooper Cup, which they mostly did in the second half, then apparently like that's like like taking away Calvin Johnson in previous years for Stafford, he just completely breaks down. So if you're a Rams fan, you have to be very concerned that a team that yes has Cooper Cup, 
everything else is very uncertain. Like Aaron Donald is still a stud, and obviously you can trust him. And Von Miller actually had a pretty good game, so that's a that's a promising thing to see. He had three tackles for a loss and a sack. Like at least there's something there. You can there are there is obviously a huge amount of talent on this Rams team. If it comes together, they could be an NFC favorite. But the last month of football just leaves you with a lot more questions and answers. Let's see if they pull it together. Let's see if McVeigh's been hiding his cards. Right now, I'm not sure that's actually happening. As for San Francisco, very much a game of two halves. The first half, absolutely terrible. Jimmy G just looked like a a quarterback who was playing through a major hand injury, wasn't able to throw the ball, wasn't making correct decisions, looked rusty out there, but fair play to him in the second half. He went out there and, I don't know, maybe like the pain started getting getting his concentration then, stopped looking in the mirror, (laughs) pay attention to what your hands are doing instead. He he got out there. But like to be fair, with San Francisco, like always, a lot of that's built on the fact that they have some of the best yards after the catch. Monsters in the game. Debo, absolutely ridiculous. 140 yards and a touchdown also had a, yeah, a throwing touchdown as well to Johan Jennings so he is the engine of that offense since Kittle has disappeared for the last couple of weeks and Ayuk had over 100 yards as well so those guys are both if you can just get it into them in space they will make things happen for you particularly Debo who obviously can run the ball can catch the ball can throw the ball apparently that's just a lot of things going on and like if those two guys if Keane's did choose to focus on those two guys. I'm, I'm sure that George Kittle would start breaking out. I'm sure that Eliza Mitchell would be starting to use more in the run game and he'd be making plays. So they are a, a sneakily quite exciting offense. Like if they had an elite quarterback, if they had Justin Herbert, they would be like a Super Bowl favorite in my opinion. But with Jimmy G, he does enough. He gets the ball to his guys. He's the point guard. He's able to distribute fine. And that's enough to make them dangerous. Their defense, like obviously in the first half got whacked and in the second half it, it did very well we'll see which one of those shows up and i think for them the defense only works if they can get pressure on the opposing quarterback which they dutifully did Uh, in this game they had five sacks eight tackles for a loss but if they don't get pressure i think the secondary will get exposed by other teams but like look in a game where they had to win to get into the playoffs when they were 17-3 down at the half you know they showed up they played hard and they showed why this team is worthy of respect and they're not one that I would take lightly going to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I broadly agree with that. I, I think obviously the Rams' talent is, is undoubted, but I mean their mentality or their ability to close out games, you'd have to question. They're, they seem to be quite a momentum team when the game is going well. They're very flashy. Things are exciting. OBJ is catching plays. Jalen Ramsey's making exciting defensive plays and everything's going the right way. But when the game turns, it just turns so quickly and this team just seems to have all their confidence just kind of drains away from them instantly and they just make mistake after mistake after mistake and kind of leading with Matt Stafford, who has a serious interception problem. He's been throwing interceptions at exactly the wrong time for, I mean, most of the season. I mean, all of the big losses that they've suffered have come on the back of, of, of Stafford interceptions and then they kind of thrown away good situations along the way. I mean, I wouldn't discount the loss of the two seed. And I mean, given how strong, you know, the other teams in the NFC are, especially kind of the, the divisional winners the teams are going to have home games and given that the rams have a super bowl as a home game if they could get to it with a two seed you could kind of see a path all the way that they could win their home games and they could get into a championship game okay they'd have to win at lambeau or if the packers you know fell short they would then have a home nfc championship game as well so you could see a path how the rams could do it if they had home field advantage or mostly home field advantage in the playoffs with the four seed it's much harder because they're going to have to win probably two road games and that's going to be tough for a team which doesn't really have that kind of grit and determination to to fight to the bitter end 
uh, in situations. So there are definitely problems um, in terms of that. But the Niners, yeah, you got to give their hats out to them. Firstly, I mean, you got to give hats off to the Niners fans. The Rams home game against the Niners is the, the annual game where we realize there's still more 49ers fans in LA than there are Rams fans. It was The crowd was really all over the place. And I think once the Niners realized this was basically a home game for them, they really got going. Once they established the run game, there was one interesting kind of drive at the start of the third quarter where they just ran like 10 run plays back to back, basically just to, to finally, okay, we need to establish this run game because once we do this, it opens up the playbook entirely. We can do play action. We can do fancy passes. We can, we Jimmy G now suddenly becomes a threat because he's not the only thing they have to worry about. And it all kind of came together and then the momentum turned and the game came to, together for them very quickly. I do have to give credit to Jimmy G, I think, considering the injury that he was suffering from, considering the fact that Trent Williams wasn't there to protect him, his performance in those situations was impressive. He's not a Justin Herbert. He's not a Pat Mahomes. He's a game manager. He's someone who facilitates other players. But we saw in this game that when it works, as you said, Fizzle, when it works, the Niners are offensively quite a scary team and they can get a lot of, a lot of things going. Playoff games come down to grit and determination. You've got to pick the Niners. The Rams have all the talent, but they've got to, they've got to learn how to how to win tough games. And once again, they've fallen short in a tough game that they probably did need to win if they wanted to, to maximize the chances of going all the way. Next up, Pittsburgh at Baltimore, 16-13 to 13 in overtime. In a list of games that I did not want to see overtime in, this is pretty much up there. This was abysmal. Pittsburgh kind of stumbled their way into the playoffs with a 36-yard overtime Boswell field goal after what has been, a, with the exception of a couple of games, mostly involving the Bengals, it's been a very dour AFC North this year. A lot of the just really ugly slugfests. Ben, 244 with a touchdown interception, averaging about five yards a pass, finds enough late to just about push past a very tired Baltimore Again, Baltimore, look again, missing about half their starters. Huntley was not great. 141 yards to the air and two interceptions. 72 on the ground with a fumble. It was just mistake city. And it says everything about this Pittsburgh team that that is how bad the quarterback play from Baltimore was. And this was tied at 13 apiece going into overtime. It was awful. Pittsburgh's D were doing an okay job. A couple of big runs for Murray who went over 150 and had a touchdown. But, like, this was abysmal this was like neither of these teams should have been live and to be honest like i said it took a combination of four or five results for them to be live but yeah this was this is just dragging as i said i think earlier dragging the corpse of ben roethlisberger into another playoff game and i just i'm sick to see it and yeah this was just depressing to watch normally very happy when we get a bit of overtime there's normally a bit of excitement this is just like no please just just let it be over i want to stop watching i mean it's a poor game with a undesirable result coming out of it and somehow this steelers team will just not die i mean we finally got rid of the Vikings, we got rid of the Falcons, but still this Steelers team stays with us and we have to watch them one more time. I don't know how many more times I can actually sit down and watch a team do absolutely nothing offensively for three quarters, to be non-existent on the offensive side of the ball for three quarters, and yet still manage to win the game. I mean, they've, they've maximized the playing well in the fourth quarter to win games as approach. I mean, yeah, Roethlisberger is done as a, as a force in the NFL. The team is doing its best around them, but they're really... It's just very hard to watch offensively. The defense is quite strong. I mean, TJ Watt has had a very impressive season. He tied the sacks record, albeit with the asterisks of playing an extra game. Well, they, to be, they to be fair look- to him, he missed several games this season, so it's not really... <laughs> 
true, true. He is he's quite an explosive player. I mean, I mean the the Watt family, the the whatever the defensive genes or whatever that comes out of the that family. I mean, they really should clone them for for the good of the NFL as as a whole. At this point. Where, where do you think TJ um, came from? <laughs> they need to they need to mix up the the, the acronyms and the first name a bit. I mean JJ TJ. I mean DJ. There's, there's more letters in the alphabet. They've got to start you're forgetting working the, on it. You're getting Derek Watt, the fullback. There. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, they tried to build an offensive player that didn't work, so now they're going back to cloning defensive players. But yeah, defensively, the Steelers are interesting, and they will give the Chiefs a tough game on that side. But there's just nothing offensively going on. You just have a feeling the first good team they meet will steamroller them, and I do hope it's Chiefs because I don't have to watch this team anymore. On the Baltimore side, I mean, ultimately, it's just injuries just were too much. They just piled up and piled up. This team went from 8-3 and three to losing their last six games because they simply did not have the personnel on the field to win games. I mean, I thought Hunter... He was relatively okay, except for the big interception at the end in the end zone, which was a terrible throw and kind of threw the game away. Latavius Murray was rolling back the years. It was nice to see. But, I mean, for God's sake, John Harbaugh, just have Justin Tucker kick the 70-yard field goal. They managed to get to, I think it was like the, the 48 of their side of the ball in in overtime, which is a 70-yard field goal. Okay, you're in the rain, whatever. Justin Tucker could make a 70-yard field goal in the rain. And they didn't give him the shot. And as a result, the, the Ravens, they're responsible for the Steelers going in because they could, have, they could have won this game. I'm Yeah, it's nobody won this game. Football lost as a consequence of this game. And we have to watch Steelers one more time. But hopefully that will be the end of it. And we never have to think or talk about this team uh, ever again. And for Baltimore, it's a rebuilding. Next year will be better. If they get healthy, they're a pretty good team. But uh, you just can't can't stop it when your entire team falls to injuries, um, as has kind of happened in the in for the Ravens this season. Yeah, I don't even think it was the the Justin Tucker decision. I think Marquise Brown had a drop touchdown at the end as well that would have got rid of him. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a very Good. bad drop. Fucking Baltimore! He couldn't give us this one thing. Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, and now on to the big upset, Indianapolis is Jacksonville 11 to 26. Yeah, this was Indianapolis playing themselves out of the playoffs and kind of seeing exactly what the problem with Carson Wentz and with this trade and with why we've been so kind of down on them for it just, just for this whole season. Just in time to not trade away the first, right? Oh wait, no. Okay, yeah, no. so <laughs> complete collapse for them. They lose it and. Yeah, and the Jags somehow look like an incredible team. Wentz went for 185, a touchdown, an interception, and a fumble. Just couldn't get anything doing. Taylor was held in check. He was sub 100 yards. And their fourth down conversions were not great. Two out of five. They stuck, they stuck to it because that was their identity and so on. But they just weren't getting the results. And Wentz was not processing correctly. Like, just making terrible mistakes left, right, and center. Lawrence had his best performance as a rookie 223 yards, two touchdowns, some very good passes, some very good anticipation throws in there. But also, like, to be honest, just some complete breakdowns from the Indianapolis defense. Like, there was one where I think the snap came in a bit weird and he was already on a back foot and he just had a load of time to stand there and find someone who was open. It was just, it was very ridiculous. They had one sack in this game against a rookie quarterback who has been very bad for taking sacks that he didn't need to take. Jacksonville defense also had a big game, an interception, a fumble, six sacks and six tackles for a loss. So they were making life hard for Indianapolis. But this was a, yeah, this was a game where you just kind of looked at it and went, so is the Indianapolis that we saw the last two or three weeks that we kind of said, oh, are they falling apart? Are they are they seeing what their limitations are? Was that closer to the truth? Because you don't see how a team that three weeks ago no one wanted to meet them in the in the playoffs, and now no one has to. 
Look, Sean called it like this season. He said we'll come down to Carson Wentz shitting the bed and and the final week <laughs> winning in. He shit the bed against the worst team in the league. You know, this is a, a team, a game between a team on the precipice of the playoffs and the team with the number one pick. And you say it's a blowout, and but it's in the wrong direction. And it's just a situation where, look, this Colts team has so many things going for it. It has Jonathan Taylor relatively held in check. It's got an elite defense. One sack, zero turnovers, as you say, basically doesn't show up, doesn't get any pressure on Lawrence, just looks completely pathetic. But yet, even despite those two factors underperforming, it still comes back to Wentz. He, you know, his two turnovers is an underestimate of how bad he was in this game. There could have been two or three other easy turnovers for this Jacksonville defense, and perhaps a testament to why Jacksonville has the number one overall pick. Uh, but he just looked completely lost that when the pressure was on and he was asked to carry the team, he just didn't do anything. He just looked like a terrible, terrible quarterback who used to rely on his physical gifts, which he doesn't have anymore, and now is exposed as being an underwhelming, you know, understander of the game of American football and ultimately you know this is a team that was aggressive early on fair enough you're playing Jacksonville you want to kind of establish uh, dominance slash uh, momentum only you only know, if it works <laughs> exactly uh, and it didn't it didn't work early on and then things only got worse from there like to a certain extent I think early on they took Jacksonville didn't take them serious enough with some of the things they did they should have taken the points but ultimately as the game wore on and Jacksonville's lead slowly built up uh, they just seemed to get more and more desperate, and Wentz looked more worse and worse as the game went on. So, look, like sometimes there's just not not that much to say. Sometimes a team is just really, really bad, and they get blown out. But it just happens to be this Indianapolis Colts team doesn't have a quarterback that they can trust when the chips are down. We know that the great quarterbacks, uh, or even the good quarterbacks, when they're put in a hole against bad defenses, they will pull their team out. They will get the win. In this case, Wentz has failed the, the ultimate task of getting to the playoffs. And you know, at a certain point of the season, I would have been excited. To see the Colts in the playoffs based on what they've did for the last two weeks I'm, I'm not that worried that they're not in there to be perfectly frank and there's big questions for Frank Reich and the management about what to do with quarterback because as I said like they they've given that first rounder away for Wentz what are you going to do now I wouldn't want to be in their position to be perfectly frank and for Jacksonville hey at least Lawrence had a nice game uh, the new coach can come in with a bit of optimism for the fans and let's see if they can turn this roster around well all it means for the Colts is they've seen the collapse of their team the fact that they don't have a franchise quarterback they don't have a first round pick because they traded it for him and they have to pay 65 million for the guy who can't get the job done and their head coaches had to come out and say that they're not going to guarantee that wants to be the starter next year yeah. so all in all it's going great for the Colts but yeah on that lovely note uh, I'm going to pass all you off to Fitz now for all of the other games that were happening that you know I think Fitz does it fine we don't need to get involved in this part Here, here's the dump off all right, welcome to the final dump-off of the 2021 season. It's a big one with a few games that were somewhat relevant but ended up not meaning too much. Probably the only one that really was relevant for its own uh, terms was Tennessee at Houston. 28-25 to win for Tennessee on the road. And really, they had to hold off uh, Houston at the end here. Like They had a big lead early on, which they managed to blow because uh, I suppose Tennessee kind of do that occasionally this year. 21 points up at the half. But Houston, to be fair to them, they've been playing well under Cully the last few weeks. It'll be interesting to see if he keeps his job or not that's currently up in the air as far as we know I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of David Cully as head coach I wouldn't mind seeing more of Davis Mills as, as quarterback he had 300 yards three touchdowns 
I give him a chance. And look, he was doing with Danny Amendola, who rolled back the years with over 100 yards and two touchdowns in the comeback attempt. And I'm interested to see more. Look, as for Tennessee, who we'll obviously talk about in the upcoming weeks, they get the number one seed, which is the most important thing, which means they get healthier, hopefully get Derrick Henry back. Julio Jones was playing in this game. He looked healthy. A.J. Brown uh, will hopefully get a little bit healthier. And if all those three guys are back, that's great. But I think the big thing for them is that Tannehill actually looked good in this game. 287 yards, four touchdowns. And he was really the difference when they needed him in the fourth quarter, speaking of, you know, quarterback making the difference. There was a, 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 almost a certain sack from Jacob Martin that he escaped out of and threw a big pass to Westbrook Akine, and that set up their final touchdown. Look, Tannehill, if he gets back into form to being the player that he was last year, just a solid distributor who doesn't make mistakes and who can get the guys like Henry and Julio and AJ Brown involved, then Tennessee is very scary and, and someone that obviously shouldn't be taken lightly by anyone in the NFL. Next up, Seattle at Arizona, 38-30. to Arizona, as we said, failed to capitalize on that Rams loss and, and failed to win the NFC West and say, can't beat a Seattle team who were saying this was their Super Bowl. And to be fair to them, they played up to the hype and they were given all the videos, getting all hyped up on before the game and all hyped up on the sideline. And when they won this game uh, with the final touchdown, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are high-fiving each other and looking like rah, rah, old-school Seattle football uh, by all accounts. We'll see if this continues on into the offseason or another offseason of rumours about Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll's uh, future remain. But like, look, let's just enjoy for what it was. Russell Wilson, three touchdowns. Uh, he had two turnovers one early on went for a fumble six and you thought oh no this could get pretty ugly but to be fair they fought back Lockett looked good nearly 100 yards and Rashad Penny the, the breakout star of the last like four weeks 190 yards and a touchdown that guy once he gets into a hole into the second level he is impossible to stop he's gonna he's earned himself a lot more money and time on the field likely in the upcoming seasons as for Arizona like they've been limping into the playoffs three and five over the last half of the season Kyler Avoided mistakes at least, 275 yards and a touchdown, but held in check by a Seattle D that looked it's been playing fairly well over the back end of the season. But this is a game that Seattle could have won by way more. Uh, they had a drop touchdown by Everett, but Seattle won this game easily. And yeah, a bit worrying if you're an Arizona fan for Seattle. Maybe this is enough to keep the band together one more year. Next up, New England at Miami, 24 to 33. New England, another team kind of limping into the playoffs here with a very another tough day in Miami. It's kind of a uh, almost a yearly occurrence it feels like for New England the Miami defense basically dominated this game they had a pick six early on they had two fumbles a couple of sacks and they you know they set up an early lead 0-17 to 17 early that Tua went over 100 yards and a touchdown and the run game which had nearly 200 with Duke Johnson leading he's a very spry to be fair in the last couple of weeks for Miami he certainly earned himself the contract somewhere 117 yards and a touchdown for Duke Johnson out of 200 I think from the New England side worrying that Mac Jones looked quite uh, rookie-like, let's be honest, early on in this game uh, with his two turnovers. He did settle into the game. He got a touchdown. He kind of kept New England in this state. They nearly won this game, the, the comeback, but ultimately it wasn't enough in the end and obviously they weren't necessarily playing for much with the, the scoreboard watching but like for New England look not a great end but I suppose for a team that early on we didn't know what to expect from them and expectations weren't necessarily that high they'll take getting to the playoffs and we know that any given Sunday with Bill Belichick you always have a chance we'll see what they do in the playoffs next up Jets at Buffalo 10 to 27 basically uh, this is a game that was eventually won in the fourth quarter by Josh Allen who had 239 yards and two touchdowns but he struck for most of this time a very frustrated figure just couldn't get it going against a, a Jets defense which has come along I feel like in the last quarter of the season this was uh, 
only 14 points uh, for Buffalo in, in, in the fourth quarter, so 10 to 14 uh, for a long part of this game. But I think the good thing for Buffalo are the defense absolutely dominated. Nine sacks and 10 tackles for a loss. 53 yards allowed net if you include the sack yardage. That's pretty dominant and something they'll definitely want to see more of in the playoffs. And I think also Singletary, they've kind of made him the feature back. He had over 100 yards, two stands here. I think he, he suits that role well and the mix and matching they've done for so often the last couple of years. I think just give it to Singletary, trust the guy and he'll pay you back. As for the Jets, like look, they, the offense was suffocated, as I said, by Buffalo. They just seemed to be able to hit Wilson at will. He had only hit less than 100 yards. He had, the, the points that the Jets did get were off mistakes by uh, the Buffalo punter Hack. A very uneven performance for Buffalo but elements that they can take forward if Allen can get back to form then that's a team to keep an eye on next up Kansas City at Denver 28-24 and Nick Bolton fumbled 6 in the 4th quarter kind of turned the tide finally for Kansas City after a tough first half and got them the second seed. Mahomes was assured and methodical. 270 yards, two touchdowns and 54 for rushing. Like he, Their first drive in this game was 7 minutes 49 and their final drive to kill off the game was 4 minutes 37. It's a very different Kansas City offense though admittedly both um, Hill and Kelsey were either out or limited for large parts of this game and with Hardman picking up the slack. Different Casey offense but they're learning and they're evolving and it's a very different challenge because you know that if you start uh, clamping down on those short passes on those more on those runs you know what's going to happen to you so interesting challenge for the other teams in the AFC this very different looking Kansas City offense and a defense which besides letting Locke rush for two touchdowns in the first half looked okay maybe not where they were a month ago but like Locke he's not the future in Denver he was inaccurate but he I suppose he's got some skills to make him a backup maybe going forward Gordon was probably the, the kind of north star of this team in this game 110 yards and a touchdown probably the engine of the the offense but also gave up the fumble six and probably a good metaphor overall for the Denver season which obviously ends with Fangio getting fired. Next up Carolina Tampa Bay 17 to 41 a game where Tampa Bay kind of started slow ended slow but they only needed like a, a middle middle part of the game to basically absolutely annihilate this Carolina team. When Tom Brady wakes up, he's absolutely unstoppable. He set up his like second 5,000 yard plus season. He was the passing leader this year. He's 44. He is ridiculous. 26 yards, three touchdowns in this game. He is dismantling teams and Gronk and Evans were obviously the, the main stars here but he was getting the other guys involved like Tyler Johnson and Cyril Grayson involved and while they're not as explosive as those two guys they certainly are contributing uh, under the tutelage of Tom Brady so Tampa Bay not to be taken lightly obviously a defending Super Bowl with those injuries with Antonio Brown missing we thought they might take a step back Carolina they started okay which they have done most of the season but once again just wilted into nothing Darnold 219 yards, two touchdowns, but also two turnovers. Not really someone you want to be playing. And Carolina, uh, with Matt Rule by the sands, but just about holding on to his job this year, probably going to be pretty desperate to get a change of quarterback so that he is someone to pair with CMC and actually maybe not have to give CMC such a load and get injured again. Yeah, this is a big offseason for him. Dallas at Philly, 15 to 26. Bit of a nothing game overall. Dallas were kept close early on by the Minshew Mania, 17 to 17, late in the first half. Minshew had two touchdowns and nearly 200 yards in the game overall. So, you know, fair play to Philly's backups for putting it up to Dallas, who were mostly playing their starters. Watkins and Gainwell kind of being the stars for, for the, the backups in Philly. But eventually, the difference in class showed, and Dak had one of his best games. 295 yards, five touchdowns. Cedric Wilson filling in for Michael Gallup had 119 of those. So that's good to see. Zeke even looked a bit better. I'm not sure about this Dallas team, but hey, look, he got the win, even if it didn't mean anything. 
New Orleans at Atlanta 30-20 New Orleans like they could have made the playoffs if San Francisco's comeback hadn't worked out I'm not sure I would want to see, want to see more of them with like Trevor Simeon throwing the ball but look Trevor Simeon as usual was like very tidy and look Kamara was the reason that Atlanta were crushed in this game don't believe the score this is a game that New Orleans dominated from end to end let's be honest uh, Kamara 162 yards and I suppose smashing your hated rivals is at least you know some uh, backup for the fact that you didn't make it in the playoffs as for Atlanta look Ryan and once again you know he doesn't look like a bad quarterback 216 yards touchdown interceptions but there's just nothing going on as the New Orleans D was just dominating here uh, three turnovers three sacks around 250 yards allowed they absolutely locked down Mike Davis in the run game who fumbled the ball twice and Kyle Pitts was kept anonymous he had two catches for eight yards the only guy who had any space it seemed like was Russell Gage who had over 100 yards and a touchdown Atlanta a team in a lot of fixing let's be honest next up Green Bay at Detroit 30 to 37 Green Bay obviously already had the number one seed so they weren't playing their starters in the second half here I think they just played the guys Aaron Rodgers and co in the first half to get a few records done for Devontae Adams in particular look Detroit like always they give us a good show at least or at least in these games they play close they give us a good show they played themselves as a number one pick but who cares when you're having a final dumb fun escapade of a game against your hated Green Bay rivals and getting a win here look they pulled out a bunch of trick plays I think two three like flea flicker type plays early on so they you know, obviously they're not relying on Jared Goff but look Goff I don't know if he's earned a chance to be a 2022 quarterback for Detroit but he's definitely going to be considered let's be honest oh overall I think the biggest plus for Detroit beyond the things we expected like their like their offensive line being good and the run game being solid is the emergence of the sun god himself praise the sun Amon Ross St. Brown another over 100 yard performance he's shown again as for Green Bay look Rodgers was effective first half two touchdowns dicing the Detroit defense it felt like an autopilot well, so he has nothing to worry about because uh, based on what we saw from Jordan Love two interceptions I think they'll probably want to keep Aaron Rodgers but that seems to be where things are going right now anyway after obviously a tumultuous offseason Chicago Minnesota 70-31 we're getting into the pointless games now in the second half Minnesota dominated this game and Zimmer gets to end his, his career at Minnesota on a high I suppose uh, they were 14-3 at the half so it wasn't going well but Cousins had a few deep bombs to Jefferson two 40 yard plus touchdowns Dalton on the other hand uh, wasn't given much love by Nagy he was basically left out there to die two interceptions in the second half and he was bullied both by the Minnesota defense seven sacks with Anthony Barr being the star and also Nagy's play calling who just inexplicably kept going for it on fourth down uh, presumably to bully Andy Dalton for, for daring not to let him keep him job 48 pass attempts one out of six on fourth down like look some quarterbacks would revel in that Andy Dalton is probably not one of those quarterbacks like Nagy going out in a blaze of fire but uh, ultimately he's the one who's going to get pissed on so whatever 16 to 21 victory for Cleveland Cleveland clambered over the Cincinnati backups who chose not to care about seeding and their own mistakes like they had a fumble six in this game and they nearly fucked up the final onside kick to give Cincinnati one more shot but hey they, they end the season on a, a high let's say um, as Keenum was steady outside a couple of bad turnovers and Ernest Johnson showed his value as a backup running back 122 yards and a touchdown um, with Chubb obviously being a bit hurt and hunt out Cincinnati's offense did nothing with Brandon Allen at the wheel this really is the Joe Burrow show that was made very obvious by this game as Cleveland's defense had a nice easy day four sacks four tackles for a loss around 200 yards allowed a win for Cleveland I suppose probably an appropriately bittersweet way to end things and finally Washington at the Giants 22-7 also known as the reason the dump off exists um, just the worst game of the week by far yeah. as Joe Judge begs 
Briggs for the sweet release of death. Jake Fromm was terrible, even when he wasn't being told to, you know, turn, turn nine sneaks. I don't know what this game was. It was terrible. Washington just seemed to be kind of passengers who were like, okay, we'll just hand the ball off to Antonio Gibson for 136 yards in the touchdown. And McLaurin gets his record as being the only Washington player to get 2,000 yard uh, seasons in a row since 1996. So, yeah, like they won because the Giants did not want to win. They did not want to live. They just wanted to die. And I think that's an appropriate way to finish uh, the 2022 season for the dump-off. So I'll talk to you in the dump-off next year. Huzzah. Let's know and look at the uh, wildcard round games for next week. So actually, just before we do, we'll have a quick look at a few bits. So our picks on the year for the regular season. Congratulations, Ronan has uh, won 175 correct for 64% correct. Myself and Sean have tied with 163 correct for 60%. So fun times. Right. On that, team mentions, most team mentions went to KC, LA Rams and Cleveland. The least mentions, Chicago, Carolina and Atlanta. You'd probably imagine from that first part, the most uh, division mentions are the AFC West. The least are the <laughs> NFC South. Just to say, Chicago missed out in the number one spot because they fired the coach. So, <laughs> Good the, job. The, Good job, Bears. So what was the other the other mention then for the Bears here? I've got a feeling it was to do with them swapping to Justin Fields. Yes, it was the week one preview and it was about Justin Fields. Yeah. right. And for our preseason predictions, I was the least right of our preseason predictions. And... Rodan was the most, Sean was the second, Harry was very close to myself there, we got a few wrong. Predicted Houston's record exactly, but I was quite far off on Philly and Cleveland, six away from that. Yeah, Rodan, you were perfect on four, you got Indianapolis, Tennessee, Denver and Tampa Bay's spot on. Sean, you got Denver, the Giants, the football team and Atlanta all spot on on their records. You were six off on Cincy, Rodan, you were four off on Dallas and Vegas, so... uh no, good stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, Ronan, you only got six of the playoff teams correct. Me and Sean yeah. got eight mm. of the playoff teams correct. The ones so that really matter. So the real <laughs> champions are here. Like you know, we're, 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 we got extra tickets in the knockout stage. Which might be an indication that's really my shrinkage. Uh, yeah. I'm doing most of the work where I'm like, well, statistically, teams are more likely to finish eight and eight. So whatever my prediction is should be pulled towards the uh, average. Yeah. Uh, whereas you guys, you're, are you're right. To go you're a coward. There. I am a coward. <laughs> I'm, I'm the big. I'm the big Ben of the preseason predictions, yeah. and I'm somehow winning despite getting the playoff team. Okie dokie. So let's move in and have a look at the wildcard pick. So first up, Vegas at Cincinnati. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. This will be an interesting matchup. Since he have been coming in red hot the last couple of weeks, they obviously were essentially resting starters because it was a relatively irrelevant game to them in week 18 there. Vegas coming in hot off the kind of the overtime win. It's a weird one because this is obviously, since he, we've said, can be incredibly exciting, but also can be a little bit, we'll say, flaky. It can sometimes just just not be the right day for them. But I am, I'm, I'm kind of ride or dying since he at the moment. I, I expect them to be able to walk over this Vegas team that I think have done well to get here, but I don't think they actually have the backbone that them getting here would suggest. Like I don't think. I don't think they have a terrifying defense. I don't think they have a terrifying offense. They have to go on the road to Cincy that have an okay defense and, quite frankly, a very, very terrifying offense if they get going. Let me give some obligatory respect for the Vegas. You know, they had to win out. They're actually getting healthy at the right time. I think Darren Waller played in 
uh, that game this week and obviously mm. we one week healthier as well that's a huge Philip uh, obviously for the Las Vegas offense uh, he's a very dangerous weapon at tight end they have Hunter Renfro who's probably one of the not underrated at this point but obviously one of those very Wes Welker Julian Edelman type receivers obviously he's not he doesn't look like a wide receiver one but he plays like a wide receiver one and he is truly really uh, nearly unstoppable on those option routes where he has full ability to kind of you know vibe with Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs has looked really good over the last month he has looked like the kind of Rorby one that we expected him to be when he came into the NFL and was picked in the first round but he has genuinely looked very good so they have the core of a pretty good offense I do worry about their offensive line against the Cincinnati D-line that has been pretty solid for large parts of this season like uh, that's been better than expected given the personnel but isn't really an elite unit and Derek Carr like look I talked earlier about Derek Carr a lot of teams be lucky to have him but the last month or so he's been very up and down very questionable he hasn't been the reason that they've got these tough wins out of the way Uh, oftentimes he's been part of the reason why they've made games closer than they needed to be particularly in that Denver game which they only won by uh, in late on so like a really interesting challenge from Vegas to kind of read where exactly there are and their defense I think has been pretty good under Gus Bradley I don't think it's a bad unit but obviously it isn't an elite unit either um, they've kind of been very up and down but like let's be honest this is all about the Cincinnati Bengals it's all about Joe Burrow he's been the most exciting quarterback over the last few weeks he's looked like an absolute baller he plays like an absolute baller he's got the attitude of an absolute baller he's got Jamar Chase he's got Tyler Boyd he, he's got T Higgins and he's got Joe Mixon in the backfield if they do need to slug this out on the ground if they want to play a bit closer to the chest if Vegas uh, sell out to try and stop the pass uh, which they probably won't because I don't think that's how Bradley generally plays the defense with a single high coverage yeah I just kind of think that Cincinnati their offense is so dominant and was so much fun to watch over the last few weeks that I want to see them go out there and do that again and yeah just challenge the Vegas Raiders to see if they can keep up but yeah overall based on where these two teams are based on what they did over the last like section of the season Cincinnati are the team to beat and uh, Vegas are uh, you know a solid challenger they have talent there's certainly nothing wrong with them but uh, yeah I'm, I'm on board with you Connor I think the Cincinnati train let's keep going choo choo motherfuckers oh yeah yeah, I I mean, okay, so, I mean, you look at it on paper and you go, Bengals, offense, dynamic, definitely going to, they're the best unit in this game by quite a distance. If Burrow and Chase whoa, whoa, start whoa. connecting, they're... Sean's like analysis, and me and Connor are like, choo-choo, let's go, <laughs> Are we here to analyze or are we here to choo-choo? I don't know. It, 400 yards I just... to Jamar Chase. There are cautions we got to put around uh, a Bengals prediction. Yeah, okay, if the Bengals have a, a if Burrow Chase have a, a good day, they're going to be very tough to stop. But I mean, the Raiders are sneaky good on offense, right? That the the Derek Carr puts up lots of yards. Renfro's having a great season. Zay Jones has come out of his shell in the last few weeks with Darren Waller back. That they've got they've got a little bit of dynamic thing going on there. I would be worried about the Bengals secondary. I think there are weaknesses there. I mean, court, not less so cornerbacks. I mean, I like Abuzier and even. Eli Apple's had a good season, but their safeties, Bates and Bell, I mean, there are weaknesses there that better teams have exposed. They do tend to get beaten by long balls down the middle, which, you know, it, the Raiders come in with a game plan, which they have done the last few weeks. They have kind of clear identity, clear game plan. They could be tough. And then defensively, I mean, I do think this front seven from the Raiders can cause problem if Max Crosby can get pressure. I mean, do we see who Burrow's really made of in terms of his, you know, ability to move and do the fancy stuff? I mean, I think it'll be a tough game. I think we can say, okay, Bengals have got the stars, so therefore they should win. 
Or we can say Bengals have the stars, but this Raiders team is better than people think they are. It's going to be a struggle. I still think the Bengals will eke it out, but I think it might be one of those one-score games in the fourth quarter types of deal. I don't think this is going to be like a 20-point blowout in a game. I, I disagree. I think it's actually going to be like a 20-point blowout. Like they won, <laughs> they won by 20 points when they played them at the end of November. And like the Bengals weren't hitting their proper form then. The Raiders, yes, they play. They put up points against the Chargers, but like they've been averaging less than twenty points for the last month. Like I don't think it's an exciting off. And that was against a Broncos team that's broken, a Browns team that was missing almost all its starters, a Washington team that has got nothing happening for it. Like they, their, their, their defense let the Chiefs put up forty eight, and I would put the. Bengals offense on its day up in that kind of echelon. So I would you have personal experience, don't you? Yeah, but I, I, I 100%. I would expect this to be a three-score game. Like I, I think they're going to smash what the the Raiders are getting back. I think you can't automatically just knock them down as being you know they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. I think they've shown enough that they deserve to be in the playoffs. But yeah, I you know I'm I'm like Connor. I'm on the Cincinnati train. Like I think this could be a close game, but I think just as likely it's, it's going to be a blowout. And either way. I think Cincinnati will, will probably win this game because I think they have mixed in the backfield if things get tough and he's shown that he can get it done um, in those situations. That's it's my, it's my sexy AFC Guma, you know? It's, it's my great my backup team. Uh, <laughs> it's taken a few years to get here, but we're here now. It's great. I can see where you're coming from, Sean. I just like I think we're over-reading a little bit into Vegas. But also, look, I'm, I support a team that's individual rivals with them, so I probably... Probably look too unfavorably on them sometimes. Next up, New England at Buffalo. Rematch of game that's happened twice already. In this matchup, it was horrendous weather and New England won. In, I believe, was that the three passes? 45, 45 runs. runs. Yeah, game? 45 runs. Yeah. So uh, we'll see if they go for the same strategy this time around. I have to say, the Bills becoming a good team has actually been quite a bad advertisement for the city of Buffalo because you would never want to live there given the weather seems so <laughs> terrible every time they play a whole game. Like, it's actually ridiculous ridiculous how bad the weather seems to be in buffalo yeah so um, it's like single digit temperatures chance of snow and probably negative well i think this is during the day so probably zero degrees basically coming into this game we've seen buffalo's defense step up quite a lot in the last couple of weeks and really start to look like the defense that you know we were expecting them to have their offense has struggled a little bit we've seen one or two absolute stinker games out of josh allen but we've also seen good performances as well but they're very inconsistent they're winning but they're not kind of scaring you at all lastly with it but their defense looks absolutely legit and was keeping them in game new england the, again, the defense looks very good. It feels a little bit like the last couple of weeks has been exposing the limitations of a rookie quarterback and that the pass game wasn't happening as as well. You're starting to see people being able to exploit Mac Jones's mistakes a little bit more. This is the thing. I would never put it a past Bill Belichick to have just been not bothering a huge amount with the passing stuff and just leaning on the run bits and now just surprise everyone by coming out in this game all guns blazing. Because this, this was, I think, like, 40% of all the outcomes are going to result in Buffalo playing New England. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's kind of already got an idea in his head of how he would be prepping for the, for this lineup. And they could just surprise us and come out with a more pass-heavy attack that they've actually prepared specifically for this Buffalo team. Because I think, if you think back to, was it the Browns game, where they had that fantastic kind of every time that Garrett was on a rush they put the they put the swing rights in behind him in the space he's meant to be covering and just allowing the aggression of the defense to play into their hands and something like that I think could make this a much more close game for New England if they can kind of get that kind of very functional pass game playing against the pass rush here but 
yeah, like at the, I, I'm going Buffalo, but like I do, I I don't discount New England's chances here. Well, I mean, I think you can never discount a Bill Belichick team in the playoffs. Day, I mean, he's record speaks for itself. I mean, in the coaching battle, I mean, I think Belichick has already won, even though Sean McDermott is obviously a very good coach. But I do think it's probably, and I say this as a Pats fan, I think it's a year or two too soon for this team to expect too many things of them. I mean, I've loved watching this team this year. That They've really, the middle of the season, that seven-game win streak was a joy to watch. That the, the defense has looked you know, scary good at times. Mac Jones has been used very well. But they do feel like a wildcard team. They feel like a 10-7 and seven team who go out in the wildcard, whereas the Bills, you feel, are coming into themselves and they, I mean, they're a championship team, right? They're, they're a team that should be expecting to go to the AFC Championship. They've got the pieces on both sides of the ball to do that i just wonder if there is a there is a talent differential here now it didn't it wasn't very clear in the first game because partly because of the weather and also because of the the ridiculous you know 90 percent run game plan from the pats but in the second game you could see that the builds were clearly the better team and they were beginning to see how they could exploit that i mean both defenses very strong i mean i think this could be fairly low scoring in terms of how it's going to come out i mean i wouldn't want to be playing either of these defenses on their best day they're kind of scary uh, but on the offensive side you've got to give that edge to the bills they've got in josh allen a guy who's had a slow start to the season but he's really coming into it now i mean the, those kind of big games that they had to win in recent weeks he was the guy that was pushing them forward to get those wins whereas as you said i think it took them a while to figure out how to get mac jones but now the mistakes are being induced and we're being reminded that he is a rookie quarterback and therefore he's going um, to make mistakes so I mean I would I think New England's best chance is if it is a weather game and it's kind of weird and Belichick starts to pull out his his wizardry and does something special because I think if it's a if it's a game in which the Buffalo Bills can play their normal game offensively and their defense can get the kind of pressure they want it's going to be hard for the Pats no matter how good the coaching to overcome that talent differential that their defense is very strong but their offense it's very run heavy it's very much keep the rookie away from having to make too many decisions and I don't think you can rely on that in the playoff game so I, I kind of I find it hard to, to see the path to victory for the Pats in, in normal conditions if the Bills play up to their potential here. Sean's covered most of the analysis of the game but to a certain extent this feels like the most important wildcard game not just for you know this set of playoff games but in terms of the psychological and, and future of the AFC Buffalo are in the ascendancy right now they have the better team the better talent in Josh Allen they definitely have their quarterback of the future they're already tied him in with a big contract but if they have a game here where they lose to New England now maybe it's a weather game maybe you can call it off but if they lose to New England like their their time atop the AFC East comes to an end prematurely and you know New England managed to get the win with Mac Jones and obviously we know that Tom Brady while he wasn't great when he started his career he was able to win playoff games when they mattered in the clutch and that's why he became Tom Brady that is something that will reverberate throughout the offseason and I feel into many years to come so look this game by itself is very interesting I think we need to see Josh Allen show up again we need to see him kind of get back to form it's been a very frustrating year for him we need to I need to see him kind of show us what he's got basically get back to form and kind of show that similar to Bahama Holmes who's had to adjust his game that he can do those same things but they probably will run the ball more I think that's been a part of Buffalo's resurgence over the last couple of weeks and their defense if it plays like they did last week they will certainly be a factor but yeah there's lots of reasons why Buffalo should win this game but we know New England we know Bill Belichick we know Mac Jones can be good we know they can run the ball effectively we know their defense on its day can be the best in the league but for me the most interesting thing about this game is what it would mean for both of these teams if they were managed to get it done on wildcard weekend 
Next up, Philly at Tampa Bay. We've gone for Tampa Bay across the board in this one. It feels like a one that Tampa Bay should be able to just take care of. Like Philly, seventh seeds, they're somewhat of an afterthought in, in this race. But Tampa Bay have shown some inconsistency of late. They've shown the ability to drop games. They've also got a number of injuries in place. So hopefully they'll be kind of playing it closer to, 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 to full power. But like, you know, Mike Evans is there, but... Outside of that, it's a lot of kind of newer players and obviously Gronk, but Gronk is, while while having big games, is not the reliable entity that he would have been maybe four or five years ago. Philly, dynamism to themselves, like they have good kind of kind of rushing from the quarterback kind of forcing boxes to have to bite in a little bit more now the thing is the personnel in Tampa Bay should be good for that. Vita Vea will be particularly useful in that element of the game, but it is the thing that Philly could come out and surprise him a little bit, and Tampa Bay have been open to surprise a couple of times. The problem is, as always, like you know, you never count out touchdown Tom. But there's a reason that this team has had to have fourth quarter comebacks in recent weeks against teams that maybe they weren't expecting that they'd be in that kind of position. Look, I know as the presenter, Connor, sometimes you have to talk up a game, but this is a game that Tampa Bay <laughs> should win, and yeah. I believe will win quite easily. Like Philly, to be fair to Nick Sirianni. He realised, after uh, maybe a little bit longer than he should have, he realised that they had a problem, which is that they couldn't pass the ball very well, but that they were able to run the ball really well. So they ran the ball uh, well enough that they got into the playoffs because the NFC back end is pretty much terrible across the board. And fair play to him. It's a really good start for Nick Sirianni, but... I haven't really seen enough from him to believe that he is the future, like a future like coach of the year or anything like that. He's just a guy who, you know, realised what the strength of his team was. He played to them. Well done, and that was enough to get into the NFC. And then in Jalen Hurts, I'm not really seeing the quarterback of the future overall either. He just feels like uh, not Andy Dalton, maybe a step above that, but just someone who's more of a problem because they play well enough to kind of get you to the wildcard weekend, that type of situation, but not good enough that you're ever going to win a Super Bowl with them. And in this case, they come up against Tampa Bay, who you say have uh, historically one of the best run defences in the league. They've been a little bit up and down this year, but generally still have a very good run defence. So they have one thing they need to stop, which is the run game, which will be some mad mix between Sanders, Howard, uh, Scott, and Gainwell. We'll see which of those actually gets the ball the most, but I think Tampa Bay have shown that they can shut down like one-dimensional games, and on the other side you have Tom Brady, who, you know, even when he when even when even he takes a quarter off, he will always have a quarter or two where he looks absolutely dominant. He was the passing leader, as I said, in his mid-40s. He just looks like he's genuinely playing at, like, the best, perhaps even the best that he has in his entire career, and when you're going against Tom Brady and a defense that can stop the run for Philly I'm just not seeing where the X's and O's go that they can get this done on the road fair play to Philly for making the playoffs but it's very hard to see this isn't the end of the road for them not an awful lot to add because I think you hit the nail on the the head there Ronan Philly pretty decent defense offense I mean the, the big problem that Philly have is their offensive strength folds right into Tampa Bay's defensive strength. So, I mean, they they don't really have that, that kind of second option you talked about. And then the other side of the ball, you've got Tom Brady, who's just not going to lose playoff games all that often. I mean, the Bucks, the worry would be their, their depth, the injuries pile up too much that so they don't have the depth to accommodate for that. Can Philly grind them down in terms of that? It'll be interesting to see. But I mean, it is, Philly will need a game plan that moves away from relying on Jalen Hurts just running, you know, doing the run-pass option thing to, to win the game. And we haven't seen it this season, so it's difficult to see them finally breaking it out in a playoff game against, you know, what is a pretty good defense, even in terms of scheming and such like that, that they, you know, that Todd, Todd Bowles and stuff will, will, he'll have a plan as well. So, I mean, it's, it's just hard to see how it gets done. Tampa Bay, it should be comfortable, I would say. 
I'd have to agree. I just kind of, I, I, I said I'd explain the Phillies' route if they can get it, because also I know a few people have started to feel that this might be the one. Uh, Emmett Ryan, friends of the show, was messaging saying that he's got a sneaky feeling that Philly are going to do this, and I told him probably not, but we'll look at it. Like they, they've done it in the past, either. Better crease up those lampposts just in case. Sam Fran at Dallas. I've gone for Dallas, and you two have gone for San Francisco in this one. Do you want to give me a quick blast on why? I don't, I don't trust the Cowboys. Well, they're very exciting, but I mean, I think with pushing up the shop this season, they their deficiencies have come exposed very quickly. And San Francisco, especially with their coaching, are the kind of team that can expose deficiencies if they know what they're going for, which would be why I just don't trust the Cowboys to, to win a tough game. Like, like, There's just something about this Dallas team that just feels off. Like, obviously, they've they've done what we expected them to do. Like, they're the best team in the, N- in the NFC East by far in terms of their talent level. And they showed that in terms of their record, in terms of playing it. But, you know, with all of the melodrama around Kellen Moore, future HC, like Dan Quinn now getting interviews and, you know, stuff like that. And Mike McCarthy, he's never, obviously, he has his own issues in the past. Even though I should like this team. And a few weeks ago, I actually was about to get on the team. I thought if they'd built on that wins against Washington and actually done the job against Arizona, I would have been pretty excited about them. But just that loss for me in particular stands out. It's just emblematic of this team. Just a very fragile and look, they're playing a San Francisco team that is very flawed. Obviously, their secondary is in bits, so you could definitely see a game where C.D. Lamb and, and Amari Cooper go buck wild and they blow them out. But there's just something about this Dallas team that feels a bit off, and San Francisco feel like a team that has had to grind its way, fight its way into the playoffs, and that will actually do them well as they, they face up against a Dallas team. So I think if the Dallas team is going to win this game, I think it actually will come down to their defense, which at times has looked truly ferocious and truly you know, impossible to stop. If Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and those guys can light up Jimmy G, then certainly they can turn this into a lower scoring game. And I'm sure Dak Prescott can do enough to get 20 points or plus in this game. To be honest, for me, it's more of a feeling. I, I kind of I like the San Francisco team. I, I just I went off on the Dallas team a couple of weeks ago with the Arizona mm. loss and given San Francisco the chance here. But like based on the talent differential and based on the on the records like i don't blame anyone for picking dallas here this is probably one where i'm going I, against my analytic brain for my my gut here but the cowboys i mean i think their defense sums it sums them up brilliantly they very flashy look exciting it's all very cool but it's not consistent and reliable you can, this is not a team that's going to shut down an opposing offense this is a team that's going to get five turnovers on on a good day and give up 500 yards on, on their bad day i don't think they've necessarily improved defensively all that much from last year. They just have more explosive players doing more explosive things. I mean, it is the kind of situation where they get, say, three turnovers early or something and just kill the Niners' momentum and they can kind of build up a lead and they should be comfortable. But I don't. I think the Niners will play it safe. They'll get themselves into a game. It could be kind of like, it could be a second half kind of game where the first half is kind of, you know, nothing really happens. Then the second half, Shanahan begins to turn the screw and suddenly the Cowboys find their offense isn't working anymore and their defense deficiencies start to be exploited. I just, I find that there is a weakness in this Cowboys team in tough games that has been exposed continuously. And after the first five or six weeks of the season when their offense was playing off the charts, they really haven't looked that impressive for most of the season uh, on that side of the ball. So I think they're a paper tiger. I think the Cowboys are buttressed by the fact that their division is quite weak so they can pile up wins and big scores. But in the tough games this season, it's hard to think of a tough game against a tough team that they've managed to win convincingly. And that is a worry, given that the playoff is full of tough teams. I think my problem is I just don't trust this 49ers team at all. I think their defense is 
mostly dog shit. I don't think their offense is actually all that good. I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. I also don't like this Cowboys team a huge amount, but I will take this Cowboys offense and their weapons against the secondary of this 49ers team all day, every single day. I would almost put a wash between almost all the other elements of it because I don't trust any of them to do anything else. But I could just see the Cowboys, particularly because they, like, I know it was against the backups of the Eagles, but they really got to get their engine going and get themselves revved up for going into this. Like, I don't think throwing on the second, like, the second string Eagles players last week is all that different from throwing on the first string 49ers secondary that's going to be out there on Sunday. And I can see this becoming a high-scoring game. And all power to Debo and all those kind of guys, but, like, I'm not sure that that offense can keep pace with that. Maybe it can. I don't know. And I think if they can get out to any sort of a lead, that's the type of game plan that will allow the kind of turnover-based rather than slowing you down defenses to be able to maybe get something going. I just, yeah, I just, I just don't trust Garoppolo. Just don't trust him at all. But yeah, like I, I totally get why. I, I, it's kind of a pickup in my head. I, just, I don't trust either of these teams. And I'll take the superstars on offense against a broken down, injured secondary. <laughs> Pittsburgh at Kansas City. We've got for Kansas. City across the board. Yeah, hopefully. Get it done. Do it. I was I was looking up Do just it. to just to make sure I wasn't misremembering. When we played them like a month ago, it was thirty to nothing in the third quarter. So hopefully yeah, it's all that way. I remember that game now. Hopefully yes. we can hopefully we can get a repeat of that now. Look, things that things things that could impact this game that will cause issues. Kansas City are missing uh, one of their tackles. They do have some question marks over the health of the line. So that will probably play into the likes of TJ Watt being able to be more impactful on this game than they would otherwise wise be the big weakness on the Steelers defense is their run and we're not confirmed whether Clyde Edwards Hilaire will be back they've been getting good work out of Williams and Gore but who knows but realistically this Pittsburgh offense like key in on the run and kind of slow them down that way they don't tend to have a huge amount I don't think Ben has the arm to do a full game of passing high-speed catch-up offense so if the Kansas City can get off and score one or two I don't think that they have the game plan to be able to keep up in that type of race and I would expect the Kansas City defense to be a little bit better but like I said injuries to the offensive line for KC mean the Pittsburgh's defense might be able to cause a little bit more issues question marks to the health of Hill and Kelsey mean there might be more secondary players playing key roles on the offense which would allow Pittsburgh a little bit more of a shot in this one but yeah like I, I, I'm obviously biased in one direction, but I can't really see past Kansas City. We don't need to see Big Ben getting, oh, wasn't he a great servant and stuff like that. Like, he's a he's a scumbag by all accounts. Uh, or like, he's reformed now, but, you know, we don't need to see him get more adulation. Like, the, he's probably the biggest reason why it's been hard to support the Pittsburgh Steelers because they have so many other things that are easy to, to root for, but he's made it impossible to like them as a team over the last decade and a half. And this season, he has been utterly unwatchable. They have been dog shit to watch this year. I, like, they obviously, fair play to them for getting to the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But they're fucking dog shit to watch. Like, their defense, which is good, to be fair, isn't even that good. Like, they've had games where they have, like, fallen apart as well. Like, you say, the Kansas City game. And look, Kansas City, they're not quite the freewheeling, like, you know, Pat Mahomes, like, 5,000 yards magic that they are. But they've become methodical. They've become smart. And they've become they've earned more respect from the rest of the NFL for the evolution that they've managed under Andy Reid with Pat Mahomes this year. They run the ball well now. They they take what the defense is giving and 
if you're a, a defensive coordinator, that's almost even more scary because you know that if you choose to stop those things, if you choose to, to kind of stop their current game plan, that Pat Mahomes show could easily come back. But look, Kansas City, they already showed they're better than Pittsburgh. I don't need to see Pittsburgh. I don't need to see any adulation for Big Ben. Fuck them out of the playoffs, please. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely there's not a path to victory for the Steelers here. They're limited offensively, defensively, okay, they're fine. But I think KC have gotten over the midseason jitters. They've kind of figured out how to win games when teams try and take away their strengths. It will be more difficult if Hill and Kelsey play. But even if even if the Chiefs have a bad game offensively, you still need the Steelers' offense to actually score points, which just is not going to happen very often, especially against the Chiefs' defense, which is very good at kind of bend, don't break, is you can give up yards but don't give up points. If the Steelers manage to score 20 points in this game, I will tip my hat to them and say they probably deserve to win if they can manage to score 20 points because I wonder if they'll even manage that. And when you're playing Pat Mahomes, I mean, you've got to be able to score 40 if you want to win that game. And they, I just can't see it in any universe. I can't see that happening. Yeah, no, I agree. And finally, and completely inexplicably on Monday night, Arizona at the LA. Why do we have that? Like, it's just so... So stupid. The split well, on because ABC are in the rotation, so therefore they need playoff games as well. Oh, yeah, because they're not just like not just run one of the other games earlier or something. Like it's just so such a pain in the arse. Well, okay, it, it's appropriate for Monday Night Football. It's kind of an underwhelming matchup. <laughs> yeah, Arizona at the Rams. This is two teams that we're not 100 percent sure on. Teams that looked strong early on and started to falter towards the back end. Arizona was it. Forward six, close out. Rams, like we said, have a couple of very, very talented players at individual positions, but aren't really getting it. And their quarterback play is kind of falling off. The running back situation, they're getting production out of Michelle, but like it's still not quite what they were looking for. Then the Arizona team, like, you know, might be missing Connor. We don't know really what it's going to look like. This is a bit of a mess one. I'll come to you on this one first, Fitz, given that this is kind of uh, NFC West. Jazz, like I, I've picked the Rams. I'm not overly confident in the Rams in this. I just kind of thought the likes of you know Donald and stuff would show through in a game where I'm not sure what I trust on either either team's rosters. You can't trust either of these teams, and there's obviously a lot of uncertainty around Arizona because I think they're planning to bring JJ Watt back. He's obviously designated to return. We'll see if he comes back and. I'm sure, Connor, you'd be delighted if J.J. Watt is the game-changer for Arizona to, to win after having such a tough end of the season. Oh, there won't be a tire not uh, turned no, Oh, God, yeah, no. Fucking <laughs> buy stock in Fort Minor if you can. <laughs> and I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is quite ready to come back. I think that'll be later in the playoffs if they make it that far. I, I kind of said this a few weeks ago. Like The problem with Arizona is that if James Connor misses this game, if DeAndre Hopkins comes out, you kind of wonder who are the guys who are going to make plays when they're not open, when they have to make a contested catch, when they have to go into a stacked box. And, and Chase Edmonds is also... Uh, he, he missed week 18. He's also dealing with some injuries, so he wouldn't be fully healthy. So it's just a bit of a situation where you're playing as the Rams defense which, yes, probably has not been quite as good as it should have been considering the level of talent they have, but which has had moments and which has a huge amount of talent. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey is a shutdown corner. Uh, the biggest problem for him is, like, who does he shut down considering it's like, well, A.J. Green, uh, great, I suppose. On the def- uh, defensive line, they have Aaron Donald. He will wreck shop. And given what Arizona allowed Seattle to do last week, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a dominant game. And Vaughn Miller, like, he... he 
he doesn't have the flashy stats, except he was pretty good in Week 18 for those. But otherwise, he hasn't had the flashy stats, but he has been solid. He has been a, like an above-average starter at least and has been a contributor on that defense. Uh, there are holes in that defense. There are obviously a lot of kind of filling guys to make up for the fact that they're paying so much for those stars. But overall, it's a it's a defense which, against an Arizona team, which hasn't shown the capacity to win outside the big plays and outside the Kyler Murray magic, I believe will shut can shut them down for long periods of this game. Basically means that the whole thing then falls on the Kyler Murray magic. He has had some games over the, the back end of the season where he has basically been forced to like carry the entire offense on his back, including, in fact, the Rams game uh, a few weeks ago, where, which, they, which they did lose, but uh, they did get close at least. It was a situation where he had to basically make magic plays again and again and again. When they beat Dallas, it was very similar, and there's just nothing... There's nothing you can hang your hat on as an Arizona offensive coordinator play-to-play, or I think it's Cliff Kingsbury's offense, so Cliff Kingsbury. There's nothing that he's doing on a play-to-play basis where you feel like he's scheming up easy throws, he's scheming up things that are going to work even if things don't go exactly as planned, or if Kyler Murray just makes something out of nothing. It just feels like an offense that doesn't have a direction right now. A criticism that I've had of them for a long time, but it seems purely uh, pertinent in recent weeks. It just seems that the, the, the momentum's just gone completely out of them. And so a Rams team, which I don't trust either um, but which I did advocate in recent weeks that they just need to dial things back on offense not let Stafford be the one who throws the ball away and give up those interceptions if they just run the ball well against an Arizona defense I think they can get that done especially if JJ Watt like kind of creates more um, uncertainty in that defensive line kind of through his freewheeling just mm. if they if the Rams can run the ball hard with Sony Michelle down their throats uh, run it hard with Cam Akers even he's come back and I don't know if he's going to be good or not but he's at least back then I think that they can grind this game out that they can win this game and that will be enough to set up the play action to Cooper Cup to OBJ to Devan Jefferson and they can win this game so I think uh, similar to that win they had earlier this season it, it won't be the most enjoyable game to watch the most biggest win for the Rams but it, I think overall I, I think you have to pick them right down given where the Cardinals are. If these were the week seven rosters coming to, to play this playoff game I'd be very excited but both these teams have kind of had very so-so to poor second halves of the season. I mean, Arizona, we've talked about the kind of being figured out their chaos offense just isn't being as chaotic enough, especially with the key pieces missing. And the Rams, I mean, they, they're flattering to deceive. They've been flat-track bullies putting up 40 points or whatever on bad teams. But aside from that one win over the Cardinals, it's hard to point to a Rams signature victory this season against a good team and say they played very well. So it's, yeah, two teams that on their best can look world beaters, but haven't looked their best in quite a while. I go for the Rams simply because I think they have maybe got the Cardinals number. I mean, that week was a 15 game where they were quite comfortably the better team kind of shows that they've maybe figured out how to how to beat them. I mean, these are divisional rivals. There's going to be so much kind of history going on between them. The Rams have so much talent on both sides of the ball. If Stafford can stay away from throwing interceptions, then this team kind of can just kind of clip away on its own in terms of, you know, they've got the talent in terms of Cop and OBJ and whoever to to get the, the things going offensively and, they, and they've got enough talent defensively to make the big splash plays. And on paper, the Rams are a very good team, but we've seen that they are capable of having bad days and and they are capable when they play a team that, that challenges them of falling apart or giving up the momentum very quickly. But ultimately, the Cardinals have showed me nothing in the last 10 weeks that, is, that demonstrates to me that they are a, a, you know, a team capable of making a splash in the playoffs. I think they've been figured out. I think their defense is fine, but you know, not you can't really hang your hat on them winning games defensively alone. I think offensively, they're missing key pieces and they've been figured out. And that chaos, you know, it's just not reliable as, as, as a thing. Chaos notably unreliable. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, inherently unreliable, one might say. Rams have got to win by the process of elimination, but uh, either of these teams are going to struggle to go very deep in the playoffs unless they rediscover their identity from earlier in the season. It's interesting, as I said, it's the matchups in the next the next stage will be very interesting if these things hold. So the only bit that we really disagree on on our predictions is Dallas and San Fran. Although I think we kind of agree that that Rams game it would presume that to be the case, but we could be surprised. But yeah, no, that seems that seems good. Setting up for being a nice weekend of games now. It's a ball ache that there's so many of them that are on so late for us watching here in Europe. But I suppose needs must. We'll, we'll have to sit up and watch. Any any other crowns with yourselves for the for the rest of the week for the weekend and so on? Uh, not really. I think the NFL is going to be the uh, guiding star for the next few weeks. And playoffs keep me interested for a while, but nothing, nothing else except for trying to figure out how to return clothes to online shops. I'm doing nothing too wild. Um, a few more bits around the house, and we've got one of the nephews and nieces coming down to visit for the weekend, so we're gonna host them up in the house. So that should be that should be good. But nothing, nothing else too wild or crazy. You know, yourselves sitting back and tipping away and kind of minimising contacts with yourself, Ronan, any fun adventures? Well, look, it's early, mid-January. There's a Omicron wave going around, which thankfully doesn't seem to be having too much of an impact on people dying right now. Probably watching sport, keeping safe and avoiding COVID as much as possible. Excellent. Well, I suppose on that lovely positive note, I'm going to wrap us up for this week. So it's a bye for myself, bye for Ronan. Bye. Bye for Sean. Bye. 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 Bye.